Hello everyone and welcome back to the second episode of Bendy and Strong. First of all, I have to apologize for the fact that this is coming literal months after the first episode. I did have big plans, but life got in the way. (laughs) I've just moved into state and had some pretty crazy things happening. I'll get into some of that in a little bit because it actually kind of ties into some thoughts and ideas that I had with the podcast. So the first thing I have to say is just the standard disclaimer. This is not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. Consult your doctor before you go and exercise, especially if you've got Ehlers-Danlos or joint hypermobility. This is all just my personal opinions and thoughts for entertainment purposes only. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way. This is a podcast about strength training and exercising with joint hypermobility and in particular with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So if you haven't listened to the first one, go back and listen to that. But basically I am someone who has had strength as part of their life for a very long time. I started lifting weights when I was 13 and I also have joint hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So I got diagnosed in my early twenties with Ehlers-Danlos. So strength training has been an incredible tool that I've used as part of my life. It's formed my career. It's formed so many things for me, but one of the big things that it does is it helps me maintain my ability to do everyday activities. It helps me to stabilize and strengthen my joints. And it is one of my main methods of pain control. In fact, it is my main method. So I recently moved to Queensland from Sydney. I was living in Sydney for the past five years and I've just moved back to Queensland to be close with family. When I got here, unfortunately, something really sad happened. My dad died. He'd had this cancer for quite a long time like 18 years and he passed away in the end. It was quite sudden, but it was sort of something that we knew was going to happen at some point, but we were thinking in years, but not weeks. So it's been, yeah, a crazy couple of weeks, but something that I really, I guess, took away from the past couple of weeks. My dad was a GP here in Toowoomba here in Queensland, and he did a lot at his funeral last week. There was, I think, over 600 people at the funeral. And these are people who all knew him, who all worked with him. His patients came along. He really had such a strong impact on so many people. And I've heard from a few people that they've left the funeral and thought, oh my goodness, I need to make some changes in my life and start helping people a bit more. And that's something that I took away as well. I'm really lucky because dad was my dad. So I got pretty close access to him. His patients talk about him as one of the best medical people that they've ever worked with because he listened to people and he cared about people. And one of the big things was he used to talk about the fact that there's no such thing as a difficult patient. Um, And a lot of doctors label people as difficult patients because they don't understand where the patient's coming from. And there's conflict with the doctor and the patient. And dad's approach was basically, he, he would say that that's coming about because the doctor's not listening and understanding the patient. And if you guys really understand what you want to get out of the consult and what the patient wants to get out of the consult and then try and reconcile that rather than just arguing or calling the patient a difficult patient. So this is something that I've talked with dad about before because as a strength coach I kind of feel like I've had a similar experience. With me having joint hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome I'm very aware that what people look like might not be what they are. So I look very healthy. I look probably at points in my life I've looked like an athlete and People just assume that everything is okay with my body, but it's not always the case. And that's given me insight into 
seeing that with other people. I've had clients before where people are like, oh, that person's so weird. They're just complaining all the time. There's something wrong with them, but they're just a difficult person. I was like, oh, okay. And started working with them. And I'm like, I think this person might have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And while we're on the topic of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, there's also a really strong link between Ehlers-Danlos and neurodivergence. So I think that they're also neurodivergent. So you think that they're weird because they've got a different brain and you think that they complain all the time because they've got actual things to complain about that are going about in their body. The difficult patient, or for my case, difficult client uh, conversation that I had with my dad was really, really interesting and really, really uh, helpful for me. And I guess it really confirmed a lot of things for me. And, you know, the funeral was incredible. We had so many people there. There was, it was a live stream. There was probably over a hundred people on the live stream as well. We had to do six eulogies because I think six or maybe even more eulogies because there's so many aspects of his life that he'd help people with. And it left me with this feeling of like, I'd like to take some of this and apply it to my life. And I thought, how can I do this? And then I thought about the difficult patient thing. And I thought about how I've got this whole community at my fingertips, um, who I'm a part of. And if I was to let dad's legacy continue, I think it would be to start talking more about the Ellis Danlos stuff and start helping people in the ways that I can and creating, yeah, a really strong community here with the EDS people, because I think it's a really powerful thing. So anyway, that's just a little bit of an introductory rant. Uh, today I actually had in mind to talk about something a little bit different and that is something that I've added into my training that's made a really, really big difference. So I, I have been, like I said, I've been strength training since I was about 13 and I grew up with, um, so I'm 28 now. So that was about 15 years ago. Uh, physiotherapy was very different back then. Very, very different. Strength training was very different as well. I have stories of when I was, um, when I was about, uh, 16 or 17, I remember my family and I went over to England and. I was still obsessed with strength training then. So I remember going into this gym and, I got there and I was like, where is the weights room? Where is it? I can't see it. And I know that they said on the website that they had one. So I just was looking around. I found this guy with a weights belt and I thought, okay, I'm going to follow him. So he went up this weird emergency exit stairs out the back of the gym. And it was a bit like, okay, I really hope I'm in the right spot at this point. Um, Followed him him into a room. He walked through a door and then there was another door and it said weights room. And I thought, oh, yes, I'm finally in the right spot. And so he walked in and then I followed him in. And it was like a wild, wild west movie where someone where a cowboy walks into the saloon and everyone just stops like mid drink. It was even like from memory, it was like a swinging door that I walked through as well. Everyone was like, I swear, like mid bicep curl. They just stopped and stared at me. And then this guy comes up to me and he's like, I think you're in the wrong place, love. And I was like, oh, am I in the weights room? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, then I'm in the right place. They then went and loaded my bars for me, which I actually appreciated a lot. (laughs) Um, But the point of this story is that when I grew up doing weights training, it was a very different world. I mean, women weren't doing weights training for starters. It was not something that people put any thought into. It was for meatheads. It was for bodybuilders. It was for people on steroids. It was for people who had narcissism, body dysmorphia, all this kind of stuff. That was kind of the vibes of strength training when I grew up. Now it's different. Now it's um, being researched. Now it's actually understood that strength training is so, so, so beneficial to the human body and especially to people with any kind of conditions or health issues. It's an excellent way of treating the body. So for me, strength training is huge for Ellis Danlos. Um, and the research going into strength training has really changed as well. So when I first started training, the way that you would do 
a warm up because warm ups is what I want to talk about today because warm ups is the big thing that has completely changed the way that my training sessions go. And one of the biggest things that I think if you're not paying attention to your warm ups and you've got joint hypermobility or EDS, it's one of the biggest things that you can do to make a quick and significant change. When I first started doing training, uh, the warm up was run on the treadmill or go for a walk or sit on the exercise bike for 10 or 15 minutes and then maybe do some stretches and then work your way up with the weights and do the big exercise first and then the smaller exercises later. That's how it always was. And lots of foam rolling. That was when the Supple Leopard book came out and everyone kind of was all about the mobility stuff. And the the irony of Ehlers-Danlos is that we've got joint hypermobility, but what that often means is that the muscles around certain joints can become very tight because they're trying to kind of stabilize and control that joint. That can give you the delusion that you're really, really tight. Well, it's not a delusion because it's true. The muscles are tight, but the natural thing was always just to stretch, 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 stretch the tight muscles. So I'd spend ages before my sessions stretching, foam rolling, all this kind of stuff. I can't remember when it was, but someone told me to stop stretching. I think it was a physio. I think it was the physio that I was going to see. And that was a game changer. I stopped stretching before my training sessions and that in and of itself completely changed everything. Then I added in some muscle activation exercises and that was like biggest game changer, night and day. When I say muscle activation exercises, mostly I'm referring to like some rehab prehab stuff. So if I know that I've got some instability in my pelvis that's causing a muscle to get really jacked up and tight, then I'll do lots of pelvis stability exercises. So some abdominal work, some lower back stuff, some glute stuff, maybe even some hamstring warm ups, some isolation stuff, and then a few like dynamic movement things. That was a big game changer for me. There's a basic protocol that I would recommend to anyone with Ehlers-Danlos. And it's something that I learned off a really brilliant physio who I see, Andrew Locke, which is kind of adapted from some work that Stuart McGill has done as well. It's an exercise called the bird dog, which is a big one that Stuart McGill recommends. The McGill curl up, which is a particular core exercise that doesn't um, like abdominal strength exercise that doesn't get the hip flexors all jacked up, which is a common issue that people have when they're doing sit-ups and stuff. It has also got like the rolling plank, so side plank and front plank. And then Andrew's extra stuff that he's done is for the shoulders. So there's some stuff for shoulder stability exercises. So stabilizing the shoulder blade in particular, because the shoulder blade forms the socket that the shoulder sits in. So if you've got instability in your shoulder, if you've got pain at the front of the shoulder, it's often coming about because there's instability a bit further down the chain, which is the shoulder blade a lot of the time. So some shoulder stabilizing exercises, some lat exercises, because the lats are a really important stabilizing muscle for the shoulder, the back, the hips even, because they do come and attach down onto the pelvis through the thoracolumbar fascia and some glute stuff. So some hip thrusts, just like unloaded with body weight, some banded activation exercises, some like hip abduction, hip extension stuff. And then a weird thing that happens with Ehlers-Danlos and... I've experienced personally is that when I do too much of a particular rehab exercise, I end up getting so strong at it that then the opposite becomes a problem. So if I'm like working my outer thigh or my abductors, abductors to help with my hip pain after a couple of months, I'll actually start getting pain from those exercises and I'll have to add in some adductor. So and the inner thigh work. So it's just kind of rotating through all of those things that I'm working with my physio. They give me these exercises and I add that into the start of the session. So that's kind of 
one part of that. Another thing I'll do is if I've got a big exercise, so for example, deadlifts, I have been deadlifting very inconsistently for a long time, but deadlifts for me are a great tool to strengthen my hips, shoulders, back, everything, and reduce pain significantly. When I go straight into doing a deadlift session, if I just do some floor-based warm-ups and then go straight into deadlifts, sometimes it's okay, but sometimes it's really not okay. So instead what I'll do is I'll add some of my smaller exercises that traditionally go to the end of a session. So traditionally you start with your big ones first and then taper down to your smaller ones as you go. But what I might do is actually add some of those in first. So if I feel like, oh, when I train my hamstrings first, my deadlifts just feel incredible, then that's what I'll do. I don't have a magic formula. I just have practiced this quite a lot and I know which ones do or don't feel good. It's a lot of trial and error. Sometimes I'll find with my deadlifts, if I don't do my hip thrust first, like weighted hip thrusts, like proper exercise weighted, this is a, this is actually training exercise now, this is not a warm up. That then makes my deadlifts feel incredible. And then one day maybe they won't feel so good anymore and I'll find another exercise to do first. For me, a deadlift session at the moment looks like basically half of a lower body day with all of the isolation exercises. And then I'll go and do my deadlifts and then I might finish off with some things like leg press or something like that. And you could replace deadlifts with squats or lower body day with upper body day. And maybe for your bench press, maybe first before bench press, you're doing a lat pull down in a row and then you're doing your shoulder exercises and then all the muscles are warm and feel really like pumped up and really nice. And then you go and do the bench press if that's the more problematic exercise for you. If it causes pain, don't do it. If it reduces pain, that might be a good sign. So this is kind of how I've approached my warm up. So when I warm up for the gym, I won't actually go and do the cardio stuff anymore. I don't do any stretching. I don't do any foam rolling at all. I come in, I pick the first movement that I want to do, whether it's floor-based stuff, or sometimes I'll go straight into a machine and do like a hip abduction or a core exercise or something. I'll start light and I'll be strategic about how I'm doing it. So I'm not stretching, I'm activating and I'm getting the body warmed up and feeling really good, feeling really yeah pumped up and nice. And then I'm doing the main exercise. And if it reduces pain, then it's probably a good thing. If it causes pain, don't do it. So yeah, I, I am not sure if I can think of anything else to add on to the warm up stuff, but what I would say is that this approach has also gotten me a lot stronger because when you're working on your weaknesses, especially if you are picking warm up exercises that work on the things that you're not so good at. So if you've got weak glutes, add some glute stuff in to start with. Don't completely annihilate them so that the, the saying that's a good approach to follow is stimulate, don't annihilate. And then the other one that I do is isolate, then integrate. So stimulate, don't annihilate just means that you are stimulating the muscle. You're not completely training it to absolute failure. Although I do push my warm up exercises quite hard and I do progressively work them up to an actual training movement. So the start, the first few ones will be very light and easy. And then as I get further on through the warm up, so I might start with some floor based stuff and then I actually go and do a weighted hip thrust. That's an exercise. Like I'm counting the sets and reps and weight that I'm doing that and I'm recording that. But I'm not doing it as a drop set and absolute failure before I go and do my deadlifts. I'm just doing it as like, okay, a stimulation thing. And if I don't feel like I've stimulated enough, I can go back after deadlifts and do, do that drop set or whatever. And then the other one that I said there, stimulate, don't annihilate. And then the second one is isolate, then integrate. So start off with the small movements, the very small single joint isolation exercises, and then build them up to bigger ones. So this is within a training session. Or it can be just like a long-term progression if you're absolutely new and you're starting out to strength training. So if you've got joint hypermobility and Ellis Danlos, start off with some isolation stuff, some strengthening stuff for smaller movements and then integrate them into bigger movements. But within the session itself, I'll start off with the most isolation exercises for, from a warm-up perspective. 
I'll start off with the isolation exercise and then I'll gradually build that out. Because if I go straight into a bodyweight squat, for example, to warm up, my hips might not be ready. My glutes might not be ready. My calves might feel a bit tight. Like there's things that I need to do there that I need to actually build up to doing a compound exercise within the session, which sounds really weak, <laughs> but that's just life with Ellis Danlos. It doesn't mean you can't do the compound exercises. It just means that you've got to approach it correctly. So another thing then to think about is the actual warm up for the movement itself. So let's say I've gone and I've done some floor based stuff. I've gone and I've done my hip thrusts. I've done some hip extension exercises. I've done some ab stuff. I may have gone and done a Smith machine squat and now I'm ready to do my deadlifts. Slowly, slowly, slowly warm up on the exercise itself. Don't just jump straight into your working weight. Do the warm ups progressively with the movement and take it very slowly because if you rush through this, you're not giving your body enough time to really get used to the movement. So, this is especially the case if you're not doing many exercises beforehand. So, if you're kind of just doing some floor based stuff and then going into deadlifts, be very, very, very slow with your deadlift warm ups. Because I've already gone and done the hip thrusts and the hip, hip abduction and maybe some squatting movement, and now I'm ready for my deadlifts, I probably don't need to take it quite as slow, but I still will. Sebastian Oreb, who was coaching me for quite a while, and I learned a lot from him. And one of the big things that he taught me was this idea of you have to earn the right to add weight to the bar. So when you're warming up with your strength exercises, if it doesn't feel good, if it doesn't feel 100% right, if it doesn't feel smooth and confident, then don't go up to your next warm up weight or working weight. Stay at that weight again, do another set at that. And then if it feels good, you can go up. If it doesn't feel good, then stay at that weight for the session. You know, just because it's a warm up weight, it's better to do a warm up weight that feels good than a working weight that feels terrible and reinforces bad movement patterns or hurts you, which is obviously not what we want to do at all. So yeah, there's that. And then I guess the last thing I will say is that if you're warming up and if you've got something that's tight, especially if you've got joint hypermobility or Ehlers-Danlos, look at the tight thing and then figure out why it's tight and then do some warm ups to target that. So As an example, for a while, I was struggling with my squats because my ankles were getting really jammed up and like tight, tight ankle stuff. So I went to see the genius physio, Andrew Locke, and he gave me some exercises. So the stuff that he gave me wasn't stretching per se in the sense of sitting there and static stretching. It was mobilization. So moving the joint, but not necessarily pushing the joint past its range or what it should be doing. It was just moving it through its range. And then also some exercises to strengthen the calves. So I was doing single leg calf raises, which is one of my absolute favorite warm-ups for people with joint hypermobility who have gunky ankles, single leg body weight calf raises, absolute game changer. So with that, I could have just sat there stretching my ankles like a lot of people do, but I didn't. And it made a much bigger difference because I have done the, just sit there and stretch the ankles thing. And it never helped that much. I always felt like my ankles were really loose. My ankles dislocate anyway, so it never actually was good. And also over time, I don't have to do these calf raises anymore because it, it, it got everything kind of aligned and working properly rather than the stretching, which doesn't necessarily encourage muscles to actually contribute and work. So this is again, just all my personal opinion, not technical. I'm not a scientist. Well, I kind of am a scientist. I've studied science at uni, but this is not a research thing. This is just my personal experience and thoughts, but yeah, warm ups huge, make a huge difference. And I hope that this, gives you a little bit of insight. If you've got questions, feel free to ask. Follow me on Instagram, Annie Short Strength. I post up quite a bit of Ella's Dan Loss and joint hypermobility stuff there, but feel free to ask questions there. And yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day, morning, evening, whatever it is, wherever you are listening. Enjoy. Hi, it's me again. I just wanted to clarify something with this. I was listening back and I thought, oh, I just want to add a little bit onto the end of the podcast. And 
the thought that I had was that I've given a few different examples of, you know, ways that I approach my warm-ups and what's helped me the most. But I think I want to just clarify the main take-home point here. And that is that since I have stopped stretching in my warm-ups and reduced the amount of mobilizations that I do and made my focus instead on strengthening and stabilizing and activating, that's had the biggest difference on my training. So I gave an example in this podcast of basically doing almost like a full body uh, workout before you actually go and do your squats. And I don't want you to go away from this podcast and think, oh, this is what I've got to do. I've got to go do leg press and everything before I do my squats. And you're prepping for nationals in powerlifting. And I've just given you the complete wrong advice for that. No, no, no. So what I'm saying is that's an example of a way that you can do this. It's goal dependent and it's you dependent. But the principle that overrides all of these ideas that I've given here and the principle that I apply to any of my clients with Ella's Danlos or anyone who I'm talking to who's got joint hypermobility and wants to strength train is to focus on strengthening, stabilizing, and activating in your warmups. And if you've got specific exercises that say your physio has told you you have a tendency to be weak in this area, or your strength coach has pointed out a muscle imbalance, or you just know that you've got a lagging muscle area, focus on that in your warmups. Do other movements and other exercises and other body parts too, but focus on those and it's going to make a huge difference. If you don't have anything like that to work off, then the main parts to focus on are all of the stabilizing and postural muscles. So the muscles that stabilize the shoulder blades. So like the rhomboids, the middle and lower trapezius, the serratus anterior, then the muscles of the core. So your abdominals, your deep back muscles and the other deep core muscles. Then we've got the muscles stabilizing the hips. So there are lots of muscles that stabilize the hips. The main ones that people normally think of are the glutes or the small external rotator muscles underneath the glutes. But there's more than that. So we have to think about the fact that the hamstrings attach onto your pelvis. We have to think about the fact that your adductors attach onto the pelvis. And there's a lot of different muscles that can add stability. So anytime you're doing a single leg exercise, your adductors and your glutes and your small rotators of the hip are really working hard to keep your pelvis steady. So there's lots of muscles around the hips that we can stabilize. Then coming down, if you've got knee issues, glutes are a great option for you to activate before your training. Hamstrings can really help. Abductors can help if the problem is coming from some adductors. Sometimes adductors can cause issues with the knees or pain in the knee. And coming further down, we've got the lower leg. So if you've got problems with ankle stability, I think I've already mentioned this in the podcast, but doing some single leg calf raises or some stability exercises for the calves, so the gastrocs, the soleus, and even the tibialis anterior, if that's something that you need to strengthen. Something else that I forgot is the hip flexors. People really demonize the hip flexors and say, no, 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 they're tight and everyone, therefore everyone needs them to be stretched out. But sometimes there is weakness there as well. So these are just some of the areas, and I'm not saying you have to work all of these muscles as part of your warm-ups, but these are some common areas that people have issues in with joint hypermobility, especially. And these are some of the places to look if you're getting pain or if you're getting dysfunction during your sessions. These are some of the areas that you can look at. And again, I have to reiterate, if you're having pain, don't push through the pain. Pain's not good. It's a signal to your body that something's going wrong. But what I'm saying here is that these are some of the common areas that I see going wrong that can cause pain with people with joint hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So that's 
a lot of information to add on as a tag on to the end of the podcast, but I just wanted to say it just to, yeah, really clarify that that's the main point here is to activate and strengthen. And those are some of the common areas to look at. Just one more thing on that as well is with every action that a muscle performs, there's also the opposing action with the core, for example. The core can produce rotation, so twisting of the torso. It's also very important for anti-rotation, so for preventing rotation from happening. So remember when you're working these stabilizing and support muscles, that it's not just about working them for the action that they produce, but also working them from the perspective of what action are they stopping? What action are they preventing? Let's say your rectus abdominis, your six-pack abs, they can produce spinal flexion, which is like performing a sit-up, but they're also important for anti-extension, which is preventing the spine from going into more extension than we want, or in other words, arching the back too much. So when you're working these supporting and stabilizing muscles, think about what action are they producing And then also think about which action are they preventing and how can I challenge them in that as well? This is the kind of thing that we can think about for the warm-ups, making sure we're working these supporting and stabilizing muscles, making sure we're working them through their actions and through their anti-actions, I guess, and putting that all together as a strength and stabilizing warm-up for the body. And again, I just want to say you don't have to do all of these in one session as your warm-up. You'll be there for hours and you won't even start the session yet. But the point is... These are some of the common areas that I see people having problems with, with joint hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos. So these are a great place to start with your warm-ups and then pick and choose which ones are best for you because you'll quickly see the results. You'll quickly feel better after doing these exercises. If it's the right exercise for you, you'll quickly feel better from it. And that is the last thing I have to say on this for now. And I'll talk to you all next podcast. Bye.